Warning: Deep Fix contains adult content and language. So if you don't touch processed foods but eat gummy bears, this may not be for you. And now, Deep Fix. Hello, and welcome to Deep Fix, where we get a fix of all of our favorite obsessions. I'm your host, Jen B. And this season, we are taking a deep dive into the epic Real Housewives of New York City, seasons one through three. And this episode, we are breaking down season three, episode three, Fall in Manhattan. Now, let's get our fix. So much has happened since our last episode. So before we get into breaking down season three, episode three, let's go over a few items that are just stewing in my mind. I feel like I have so much to say on them. First off, we had BravoCon 2022. And during one of the, I think it was one of the Watch What Happens Live episodes, one of those live shows that he did from BravoCon, he introduced the new Real Housewives of New York City. And can I just say, Andy and Bravo, no one fucking cares. I didn't want to see these ladies. I don't care about them. I want my OG Roni ladies. I want Sonia. I want Ramona. I want Luann. I'll take, I mean, at this point, I'll take Drunk Dorinda. I wish we could get Alex and and Bethany back. That's probably not going to happen, being that Alex is in Australia and Bethany is too good for the housewives although we'll get into her latest endeavor regarding Housewives in just a second. But I couldn't help but notice it fell so flat. They're so desperate to start something new and are just not listening to the audience as to what we want. They're going off with their own agenda. And if they want a new show with people in New York City, go ahead and do it. But don't try to take Roni and bastardize it into this entirely new brand with all these new people that we're not invested in, we don't care about and really are not what make the show we know and love what it's all about. And I I just think this is one of the other examples of why The Housewives is going to crumble, why nothing is as good as it was when it first started. There's a lot of contributing factors, and we've talked about a lot of those on this show. But the fact that they continue to plow forward with their own bullshit agenda of newer, cooler, woker, whatever the hell it is, nonsense versus listening to what the audience wants, which should be their main goal is to have an audience and please their audience, is one of the many reasons why it's just not the same, it's not as good, and it's not going to last at least the way they hope it does. So listen up, Andy. Hello, Bravo. Give us our OG Roni ladies, and don't call it Roni Legacy. Give us Real Housewives of New York City. Damn it. It's just, it's not that fucking hard. And I know I've gotten a lot of comments from you guys that you feel the same too. So I know it's just not me who wants the OG Roni ladies. And I also, I don't, not that I wouldn't watch the spinoff with Sonia and Luann, but I almost feel like they were trying to placate us by not having the OG Roni show by giving us the Luann and Sonia spinoff. And while that's going to be fun, it doesn't take the place of Roni. So Again, don't try to pull that bait and switch bullshit on us either, where you give us a 10 episode spinoff of Sonia and Luann. 
and try to think that that's going to placate us into not getting our Roni that we know and love either. And then shifting gears, interestingly enough, so Bethany Frankel has just started a new podcast called Rewives. And I find this interesting because for many years, and you can see Luann, I think she just went off on it on one of her cabaret shows. There's clips going around (laughs) about her uh, with her talking about it. But for many years, she wouldn't even mention the word housewives if she was appearing on a show because she wanted to distance herself from the show. She'd moved beyond it. She was better than it the whole nine yards. And now here she is coming out with a show called Rewives or a podcast called Rewives, where she's breaking down Real Housewives episodes. And I guess her gimmick or her spin on it is she's having celebrities on the podcast with her. I think most of which haven't ever seen the show as they break it down. So I do find it a little bit interesting that she kind of trashed the show a little bit. And even Andy, who they're very good friends, Andy commented on the fact that she kept saying the show was toxic, she wouldn't go back, and really was trashing the show, even though she denies that she was trashing the show, which she shouldn't because it's the whole reason that she has everything (laughs) that she is. But even he called her out on that. And then it had me a little fucking hot under the collar because I've seen her TikToks and her Instagram posts where she's talking about the breaking down of Housewives episodes in a podcast format as like some sort of idea that she came up with and it's a really good idea. And I'm like, uh, hello, Bethany, ever heard of a little fucking podcast called Deep Fix? And that's not to discount all of the other podcasts that are out there that have similar formats. And just the arrogance of her to to be out there talking about breaking down Housewives episodes as if it's her idea and it's a really good idea, as she says. And I know her podcast, it seemed to do really well. I think it hit number one, which good for her. And of course, unlike her, I don't have celebrity friends that I can have come on and talk about the the show with me, right? But I just, it it really upset me that I feel like, and I, I mean, she's She's liked some of my posts. I know she sees this podcast. So I know she's aware that it's not her idea to podcast breakdowns of Housewives episodes. So the fact that she's out there acting like she's such a great idea person and she's come up with it and that's why it's so successful is because it's such a great idea that she came up with. It just fucking pissed me off. Because of course, I don't have the money backing me for this little podcast, right? We're the little pod that could. I don't have celebrity friends. I don't have the connections. It's serious and all of the places that are going to promote my podcast. It's just me in my little studio. I do all of the editing. I do all of the rewatching. Nobody makes notes for me. I don't have celebrity guests that come on and help fill some of the void of time. And here we have Bethany with all of that money, all of the celebrity power, all of the publicity out there are taking credit for this idea. And I just, oh, it made me sick. So anyway, thanks to all of you guys for making our podcast such a success. I know it's not as successful as Bethany's, but thanks for putting us on the map. Thanks for listening. And I hope you know how much I appreciate each and every one of you. All right. So enough about that. Let's get into a breakdown of Fallen Manhattan because it's turtle time. All right, it's turtle time, which means it's time for a quick breakdown of the episode. So season three, episode three, Fall in Manhattan starts with Luann. We get actually a good amount of Luann this episode. 
we see her and her daughter Victoria driving into the city from the Hamptons for Fashion Week. Remember, they now live full-time in the Hamptons, and she is getting ready to host an Ungaro event. Then we get to actually see the Angaro event where she and Jill are absolutely horrible to Alex regarding an incident with her kids. And Luann actually puts it quite bluntly to Alex. She says, are you on our team or what? Then we see Luann go to Jill's condo for a psychic reading, which really just becomes an excuse to shit talk Bethany. And actually, we also get the first mention of Jacques, if you recall. Jacques, who will appear in later seasons, uh, Luann's long-term boyfriend. We get the first uh, mention of Jacques at that psychic reading. And then we get the infamous Jill Stewart fashion show where Bethany and Jill first see each other since the big fight has ensued. And Luann quickly becomes Jill's mouthpiece to Bethany. And we really do see Luann's kind of lackey or mouthpiece role for Jill form in this episode. As for Kelly, this is one of the episodes where we also get a lot of Kelly. This is probably the most scenes that she's in or gets from since the season starts, really since the show has started. We get to start out with our first of many awkward scenes with Real Housewives and their children where she takes her daughters out to dinner and discusses her Playboy photo shoot. Remember, the girls are about eight years old and 10 years old. Fucking awkward. Then we get to see the Playboy photo shoot, where we see Kelly as beautiful and obnoxious as ever. And then, of course, she also goes to Luann's Angaro event. But we don't really see too much of her because that's really more about Jill and Luann being horrible to Alex. But we also get thrown in a quick scene with Kelly where she's trying on fur and talking about fur and PETA really as just an opportunity to dig at Bethany. Not a good look. And then Jill goes over to Kelly's apartment to not only get a tour of her beautiful space, but to also set the record straight on Kelly's claim that it's a 40th anniversary Playboy cover. And Kelly should be grateful to Jill because Jill was also trying to cover for her. And then lastly, Kelly, of course, attends the Jill Stewart fashion show during Fashion Week, where she is just utterly embarrassed that the ladies are having a heated discussion, because as you know, fashion shows are quite sacred. Now, as for Jill, Jill is in full scheming and bitch mode this episode. The first scene we see her in is more of a good news moment, where she and Bobby are at their condo. And Bobby learns and gets a phone call from the doctor that he is clear of cancer because he had thyroid cancer that summer. So they discuss celebrating Jill's in tears, very happy as you can imagine. Then we see Jill attend Luann's Angaro event where she not only ridicules Alex about her children, but then grills Alex about Ramona's Labor Day party. It's, it's cringeworthy. Then we also see Jill invite Luann over to her condo for a psychic reading, where she takes the opportunity to play the get a hobby voicemail from months earlier that Bethany left for her, and really just turns the entire session into a shit talking about Bethany opportunity. Again, not a really good look. We also see Jill talk with Mario and Ramona in Ramona's only scene at the Legends Ball, where she grills Ramona about her Labor Day party but then also really grills Mario about his comments about Luann and why he wouldn't apologize. Mario isn't having any of it. And then Jill goes over to Kelly's for the tour of the fabulous apartment, 
and kind of calls out slash covers up for the fact that Kelly was going around making the claim that her Playboy photo shoot was for a 40th anniversary cover, because as we covered in previous episodes, it's not. And then we get to see the first scene with Jill and Bethany together of the entire season at the Jill Stewart fashion show, where Bethany tries to talk to Jill, but Jill refuses to engage and really just refuses to be accountable. Now, as for Ramona, as I mentioned, we only get one very quick scene with her this episode, and it's at the Legends Ball, where she talks with Jill about her Labor Day party and how Jill and Luann didn't attend and all of the drama that ensued surrounding that. And then Jill continues to dig at Mario for his comments about Luann. And as I said, Mario isn't having it. Now, Alex, we see her serve as Jill and Luann's punching bag this episode, lucky her. And you can tell she's starting to get pissed. She and Simon arrive at Luann's Angaro event with her gay friend, who I will give this point to Jill, is dressed in a ridiculous outfit and is quite weird, but it's Alex and Simon, so I'm not surprised. But Jill comes right in and first of all makes fun of this guy right to his face as she's meeting him, and then later on decides to ridicule Alex by telling a story about her kids climbing up a stranger's legs, and of course also insults Alex's book while doing so. Real, real kind. And poor Alex, she's just left speechless. And then after that, we see Jill dig Alex for information regarding Ramona's Labor Day party. And all the while, poor Alex is just trying to point out to Luann and Kelly and Jill that she's not on anybody's team. She really is just friends with everyone. And then we see Alex really process the treatment she's receiving from Jill and Luann in a scene at her home where she's making dinner with Simon and her kids. And she's explaining to Simon what Jill and Luann said to her and how they were treating her. And you can see Alex's patience is running thin. And then lastly, we have Bethany. We continue to see her star rising and her relationship with Jason is thriving. We see her teach a seminar at NYC's Learning Annex, a la Carrie Bradshaw. And we also see her throw a birthday party for her boyfriend, Jason, at 10 June. That's the nightclub where they first met. She invites all of Jason's friends. They have a great time and clearly are very much in love. And then we get to see the first confrontation with Jill when she arrives at the Jill Stewart fashion show. And so before the show, she walks in, she says a cordial but awkward hello to Jill and Luann. And then after the show, she tries to talk to Jill, where Jill really refuses to talk to her, and she learns that Jill is taking this fight to a whole nother level. So with that, this episode is so jam-packed full. That's why I love these old episodes. Let's get right into it because it's time to mention it all. Well, going back and rewatching Fall in Manhattan, which is only the third episode of season three, reminds me of how great these early seasons of The Housewives and really the early seasons of Roni were. It is just packed with events. There is so much going on. As I was rewatching it, I kept thinking, okay, this is the last scene. But no, there's more and more and more. It just keeps giving. And it's really a testament to what happens when they let these women be authentic and stop trying to set up these storylines. Because a lot of the scenes that we see aren't all of the women together. It's them individually doing things throughout their life. And then, of course, there's a little bit of drama that's ensuing as they get together at certain points throughout the show. 
And most importantly, it reminds me how important the city in which they choose to have a Housewives franchise is to the show. Because perhaps in no other place other than New York City, do you have things like New York City Fashion Week, where all of these women are going to the same events. So as opposed to there being concocted storylines where they're forcing everybody together, these women, or at least a couple of them, do end up overlapping and being at the same places naturally. And as we know, some of them, like Jill and Ramona, are running in the same circles naturally. And it just makes for such good TV, so much better than what we're seeing on The Housewives now, where, like I said, every episode is a total artificial reason to force all of these women in a room together. Take, for example, the latest episode of the new season of Salt Lake City, Jen Shaw and what's the new gal, Angie K or whatever. They're planning a getaway to San Diego, and Jen doesn't want to invite the other new girl, Dana, but somehow Meredith ends up inviting her as a guest of a guest. But then they don't invite Angie H, Angie Harrington, which I could just tell this is totally producer influenced. They want Dana to go there to cause issues with Jen, but maybe it was because of the fact that Angie Harrington's husband started a fake Instagram account called Shaw Exposed. They were totally fine with her not being invited. But again, it was totally artificial. They didn't allow it to happen. I'm thinking of Scary Island, which we're getting to. Jill and Luann were able to say no thanks, right? They didn't go. And it still created one of the most memorable trips and best episodes of Housewives ever. But producers... The network, they just don't seem to get it, and they're de-authenticating the show and making it worse and worse with every season. But that is not the case with this episode, because as I said, it delivers so much content. I just, I can't believe that this is all in one episode. I love OG Roni. So episode three of season three opens up with Luann. She's in her BMW. She's heading back to the city from the Hamptons with her daughter, Victoria, because as I said, they now are based in the Hamptons. And Victoria is showing Luann a couple of different pairs of shoes for some event that she's going to. And Luann nixes a pair of them that are, they really are. She says they're too high, they're too sexy, they're too spiky. And they are. They're like four inch heels very sexy looking, very adult looking. And at 14 years old, which is how old Victoria is in this scene, it's way too much. And so in a rare occurrence, I agree with the Countess here. And even though she's kind of a mess, obviously, in her own personal life and doesn't make the best parenting choices, in my opinion, always, it really is showing another side to Luann where I I was like, good on you, Luann, that's good parenting, because she doesn't want her kid to be totally over-sexualized at 14. And she realizes you need to be more sophisticated than that, as she puts it. So in her confessional, she explains that now, since the divorce, she and the kids are based in the Hamptons. But they do like to come into the city and get dressed up, and she is hosting an event for Angaro. And for those of you who don't know, Emmanuel Angaro is a French fashion designer and fashion house. I believe he died in 2019, so he's not around anymore. But around this time, like 2009-ish, there was some Lindsay Lohan drama. I don't think they wanted her to be associated with the brand, and they ended up firing that designer or the the head coordinator and brought in Lindsay Lohan and let her do some designs. And that ended up being a disaster. But that will come up later because I remember the Lindsay Lohan thing was a little bit out of place at the time, but it all makes sense if you know what the backstory is there. And so they're in the car driving back and Victoria brings up Kelly's Playboy shoot for the cover. 
And Luann says, you know, I, I'm a bit shocked because you definitely think of nudity when you think of Playboy. And Victoria says the, sh- the same. She was a bit shocked. And in Luann's confessional, she says that she's got mixed feelings about Kelly doing this because how do you tell your kids that you're going to be naked on the cover of a magazine? And Luann says to, to Victoria, you know, it really depends on how naked she is. And then Luann asks Victoria, you know, how would she feel if Luann did Playboy? And Victoria says, well, I wouldn't mind. You know, I'm much older, probably older than the girls, uh, Kelly's girls. And she says that she knows her guy friends think that Luann is attractive, which is hilarious. And I love Luann's reaction because it shows both sides of Luann, where at first she says, oh, Victoria, you know, like, oh, stop, that's ridiculous. But then she turns around and goes, well, they do. Well, what do they say? And I just felt like, Luann, that's such a narcissistic moment and kind of a like teenage, young attitude. To, well, what did they say about me? It's like, they're 14-year-old kids. What do you even care? But Victoria says, well, you know, I'm aware that you look good. But of course, it's weird to have your friends say that your mom is hot. And Luann agrees. That's that's a weird place to be put in. And as someone who myself, I had very young parents. My parents were 20 and 22 when they had me. And my mom and dad are both very attractive people. My mom was a beauty queen. My dad was like a hunk football player. I do remember my friends telling me my dad was hot or some of the guys saying my mom was hot. And it's this combination of like embarrassment and disgust mixed with being proud that your parents are attractive people. It is weird to be a teenager and have your friends say something like that. I speak from example. And then we see Luann's confessional that she says, you know, for the moment, no one has asked her to be in Playboy, so she doesn't have that problem currently. And her and Victoria continue to talk about it. Luann's sure that she won't be totally nude. And Victoria says, well, I hope not. She shouldn't have her like cha-cha hanging out. And they laugh. (laughs) Luann's like, yeah, I hope she doesn't have her cha-cha hanging out. And that just reminded me of all of the funny names. My friends and I, my childhood friends, we've grown up together. We all know each other's parents. And we always joke about the names that your parents give to private parts. I had some who were like the woo-woo and the cha-cha. It just, I I was like, shout out to my girlfriend, McKay, because we always joke about this. But that made me laugh hysterically. But ultimately, it ends up being a nice scene between Luann and Victoria And like I said, I think it shows a little softer side of Luann's parenting, and I liked that it opened up with this scene. And it also reminded me that it's still early to mid-September when this is filming. And I I just, again, they get so much content so early on. There's They start filming around the end of summer, like Labor Day weekend, and they've got so much content already. So next up is Kelly, Cuckoo Kelly. And we get yet another one of a string of many for housewives of an awkward kid mother scene. And Kelly is going to dinner. It looks kind of early. I mean, her kids are young, but it looks still like it's light outside. But she's going to dinner with her kids, her two daughters, because she wants to talk to them about her Playboy shoot. So she explains in her confessional that she hasn't told them yet about posing for Playboy. So the best way to do that was to take them out to dinner which is just so wrong on so many levels. First off, who takes their kids to a public place to tell them that they're going to pose naked in Playboy? Second of all, why would you even broach this subject with your little girls? Kelly's daughters at this point are around eight years old and 10 years old. They won't even know that she's posing in the magazine. And if, God forbid, somebody at the elementary school brings it up to them, at that point, you can discuss it with them. But I mean, Please, how many other eight-year-olds are going to be aware of the Playboy magazine shoot to bring it up to her kids on the playground? Very strange and very inappropriate and very Kelly. 
And as she sits there, they sit down and we see her open up with, so what do you think of my curly hair? Which is just such a weird thing to be talking to your kids about yourself. Again, it's just she's just not all there and she really is all about herself. But I do love it. Her older daughter, C, says, "Eh, I think it's old. (laughs) And then her daughter, Teddy, the younger one, who's definitely more of a spitfire, even though she is a bit more shy. She's not shy with Kelly. And she says, yeah, and you look like that, too. And Kelly, you know, Kelly's like, oh, thanks, kids. And you could just tell by their interaction that they don't really have a mother-daughter relationship because Kelly is just very immature. And it's, it's very interesting to watch her interact with her children. So then we see her ask them what they think Playboy magazine is and if they even know what it is, which again, if they don't know what it is and you have to ask them, probably shouldn't be talking to them about it. And her youngest daughter, Teddy, says, oh, it's when you wear a leather skirt with no top and then they cover up your boobs with your hair. And she kind of laughs. You can tell she knows she's being a little cheeky. And also, you can tell the kids are embarrassed. You see both of the girls' faces. And it's like, this is an embarrassing conversation to be having with your mom at this age regardless. But then to have it done in public at a restaurant while being filmed on camera This was just really poor parenting and bad decision making on Kelly's part, in my opinion. Then Kelly asked them, what are you going to say when you go to school and kids say that your mom was in a magazine showing her boobies? And again, what eight and 10 year old are being told about Playboy magazine at home that they're then going to go talk about it at school? It's like, are things really that bad in New York City? Good God. And Teddy says, and it's interesting, I can't tell if the producers cut this in a way to make Kelly look bad, or if this is her response, because Teddy says that you're a bad parent. And I can't tell if that was a response to Kelly saying something like, what do you think others are going to say? Because they patch it into behind, what are you going to say? So I find it interesting and not sure if Teddy said that she thinks she's a bad parent, or if that was Teddy's response to a different question of what do you think other people are going to say. But regardless, it's very telling that that comes out of an eight-year-old's mouth. And I agree with the eight-year-old. And her older daughter, C, tries to be nice. And you can tell they're almost, they kind of joke with Kelly and don't respect her, but they're also a little scared of her. (laughs) And C says, well, you know, I would say that you're not a bad person and that you do fun things. And then Teddy chimes in and says, yeah, and you work really hard for us. It's like, you know, it just didn't seem natural or right. And then I do love this moment because Teddy says, you know, mom, and you can tell Kelly has heard this before and is like, don't you say this out loud. She says, if you can't say something nice, then talk to the booty because the hands off duty. And Kelly is like, really nice, Teddy, really nice. And of course, the kids just think it's hilarious. (laughs) And I loved the moment because you can tell the kids are cutting loose during what is otherwise a very awkward conversation. And then Kelly asks them if they know why it's a big deal for her to do this. Again, it's just so not age appropriate. But Teddy's response is perfect. She says, to entertain people with your weirdness. (laughs) It's so good. I love it. It's great. It's it really, again, Teddy is kind of hitting all the points here. And you can tell they've skipped around. And finally, Teddy says, well, if you're in clothes, I'm okay with it. End of discussion. Case closed. And she looks at Kelly and says, no more words. And I could tell that is how Teddy handles Kelly, who talks and talks and talks and doesn't stop and goes on and on and is a bit of a lunatic. She says the no more words. And I think that's her way of getting Kelly to stop and for her to get a little bit of peace. And the scene ends with Kelly explaining that, you know, if her girls want to pose for Playboy, she'd support them. 
So next up is Bethany, and she's doing a seminar at the Learning Annex. She's in Skinny Girl Red, of course. And the Learning Annex, she explains, is an educational speaker series in New York. It's really like adult education. And you may remember an episode of Sex and the City, I think it was in the year 2000 when it aired, where Carrie Bradshaw goes and teaches a class on dating at the Learning Annex. So it's been made famous by some TV shows and references like Sex and the City. And Bethany explains that this is a big deal for her. We see her address the crowd. She said, I told you we'd have booze, but they're not going to allow it. So she's already starting to incorporate the skinny girl, uh, Margarita, and that kind of thing, which I think is funny, though, that they wouldn't allow it. So then she starts to perhaps curse and is like, well, can I curse here? Like, if we can't have booze, at least I can curse, right? And and she starts in immediately with humor. I mean, that's her strong suit. She explains that she comes alive at these types of events, and she does, without a doubt. I mean, she goes a little over the top. She seems a little desperate to get the, like, what is it for that from Friends that Monica, joke, 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 joke. It gets a little bit much, but we had never seen anything like this on TV, and she was being raw and real, and, and she's funny. And she goes on to the crowd about Jason. She explains it's not Jason number one. She just has this rule that she can only sleep with people named Jason. And then she starts talking about her lifelong obsession with food and dieting and exercise. And she goes on to explain how, you know, every model says, oh, I had broiled salmon and lentils for dinner tonight. And she's like, fuck you. No, you didn't. You did not eat that. You didn't eat anything. We all know it. And you hear her voice over how she explains that nobody wants the BS anymore. And this is authentic, what she's saying. And and it is. It was It was raw. People liked the realness of it. It's why she a- appealed to so many people in the audience, especially when you contrast her to someone like Jill or Kelly, who's keeping up that facade, that New York City nonsense and the model world, especially with Kelly. You put Bethany up against that and you start to see how much more authentic she's being. But just to digress, because she does talk about how she has a lifelong obsession with food and It ends up not being a great look for her because she does talk about the eat nothing, taste everything. It's not always the best message. And I always think about the way that you see her bite into food. She takes these tiny little bites and then sits and chews it like a million times. And I just... It always bothered me the way she ate. Like, you never saw her actually indulge. Like Her version of indulging would be like taking two bites of the dessert as opposed to eating the dessert. To me, watching her do that was always a sign that she really hasn't gotten over her lifelong obsession with dieting. She's still very much aware of it. Just just something to look at. She eats like a little mouse. It always it always bothered me. But anyway, we see her answer some questions like a Q&A at the end, and she's very funny. People are loving it. And then at the end, she signs books. Of course, it ends up helping her sell her naturally thin book. And she, I'm sure she's talking about skinny girl cocktails. I think she was hoping to be able to sell them and, and pass out cocktails as well. But as she says, they, they can't do that. But overall, it looks like it's a success for her. So then we cut back to Jill's condo. Bobby is on the phone getting what he says is good news. And in Jill's confessional, she explains that Bobby had thyroid cancer over the summer, and he had a big tumor removed from his thyroid in his neck. And when Bobby gets off the phone, Jill comes in and he explains that the doctor said everything is good. He's cleared. 
Jill, of course, cries and is is really excited. And Bobby and Jill talk about the fact that they need to celebrate this. And they're sitting on the couch and Jill's going over, you know, people are not usually this lucky, Bobby. You're really lucky. This is great for us. And it's a short scene. And then, of course, at the end, Ginger's sitting next to Bobby and she's like, Ginger, Ginger, Doba, look at how happy Ginger is. And I just, there's something about it that bugs me because her husband just got cleared from cancer and you know, in all reality, this is probably a, a redo scene. I know they say that they do this a lot in Housewives, where if they don't catch the real moment at, you know, on camera, they have them reenact the scene. So this might be a reenactment. So perhaps that's why she's so easily distracted by Ginger. But it's like you're sitting on the couch and your husband just got cleared from cancer and you end the conversation with, look how happy Ginger is, like her little devil dog. It's just, I don't know why that always bugged me. But next, we're on to Kelly's Playboy photo shoot. We've sure heard a lot about it. Now we're going to get to see the photo shoot. And she's sitting in the makeup chair. She's in the classic black bunny outfit. And she's getting her makeup done and talking about the shoot with her makeup artist. And he asks her what the other girls will think of her being on the cover of Playboy. And she says the other ladies were really happy and excited for her. And he says, oh, well, were they jealous? And she's like, no, of course. You know, why would they Why would they be jealous of me? They have their other things going on. And the makeup artist brings up the fact that Bethany had a shoot for PETA for their No Fur campaign the other day. So clearly these things are all kind of, like I said, it's jam-packed. These things are all happening right after another and giving so much content within just a few weeks of shooting. And then Kelly, in a typical jab to Bethany, says, oh, well, I wear fur. And just it's very obvious what she's trying to do. Then he asks her if she's a vegetarian. And she says, me? No, I'm from the Midwest. You know, I'm a meat and potatoes gal. It's like, yeah, sure. I'm sure you're eating meat and potatoes with that figure. And then she does the thing that Bethany just pointed out in the scene before at the Learning Annex. And I love the juxtaposition of these two things. Remember when Bethany said, you know, no, you didn't fucking just eat salmon and lentils. You, you didn't eat it all. Like, stop with the nonsense. Kelly sits there and says, well, you know, I went on my Playboy diet, which, you know, it's just chicken wings and beer. My God, I drank so much beer this week. Which is such a bunch of fucking bullshit. Because if you remember, she has a previous scene where she talks about the fact that she works out like a maniac. But here she is trying to act like, I just eat chicken fingers and chicken wings and beer all day long. And then voila, I show up for my Playboy photo shoot. It's so inauthentic, juxtaposed against Bethany's authenticity and also calling out this exact thing that Kelly does while sitting in the makeup chair. It's so good. You can't write this shit. And then we get Kelly's confessional where she's talking about there's no comparison between Playboy and PETA. And I do agree. Of course, there's not. There's one that's a professionally paid photo shoot. And another one is a campaign that you're doing for an activist group. Like, good for you. It's not like a modeling gig. And I thought that perhaps the producers were kind of laying that seed. I bet you it's a question that they asked Kelly. I don't think she just on her own came up with the fact that there's no comparison between Playboy and Pete and was talking about it. I think the producers really laid that seed of the comparison between what Bethany was doing and what Kelly was doing, knowing that Kelly thinks very highly of herself first off and is Miss Socialite of New York City. So it's going to be easy for her to jump on that bandwagon. And also, she's probably a little bit insecure because that is her profession and wanting to defend it. And then we get a just typical Kellyism in her confessional. She says, it's not like you're just posing nude, which yes, you are. You're posing nude. 
She says, you're posing nude for the most infamous book in the world. And again, I just, I'm calling Hollywood BS on this crap. It's how they justify morally to themselves doing shit like this. Because let's be honest, I don't care if you're posing nude for Playboy or if you're posing nude for your boyfriend and generic camera shots at your house, you're fucking posing nude. And because you're trying to justify it that somehow because it's Playboy and it's like, oh, all the famous people do it, that somehow it makes it somehow morally different, you're lying to yourself. You're posing nude. And if you want to pose nude, you've got to take on the kind of bullshit that comes with it of posing nude. You don't get to let it roll off your back and act like somehow you're better than or doing something different because it's going in Playboy magazine. It's like, nope, sorry, nude is nude. So then we jump to seeing some of her photo shoot. And I believe if I remember correctly, her ex-husband, Jill Ben-Simone, actually was the photographer on the shoot. And I'm sure that's probably how she ended up getting some of the ins on this. And we see the set. It's a real basic. It's just a, a bed in white sheets. And she's in that traditional bunny outfit, the black satin. And I will admit, she looks great. She is a great model. She knows how to pose for the camera. She knows how to give the right looks. She's got a, you know, a very thin, tall, statuesque figure. She does her job quite well. And in her confessional, she points out what all of us are thinking, that this is a a big honor because most people who are posing for Playboy are in their 20s or 30s. And so for her at 41 years old to be not only posing for Playboy, but going out for a cover try, it's, it's a big honor. And you know what? I'll give her that. And she looks great at 41, 21, 31. Most women wouldn't mind looking like this. So then next we cut to Luann at the Ungaro event. And again, it's only mid-September and we're getting so much footage. If we were in today's Housewives, the fact that all these women are talking about Kelly posing for Playboy and then getting to see the Playboy photo shoot, I guarantee you that would have been the entire episode. It's why I said I kept thinking, oh, okay, that's got to be the last scene. And then something else would pop up. Because they allow the women to just go off and do their things, there's so much more content to pick up because it's not all the women at the same event, all the women at a, at a totally concocted party, all the women at a totally concocted trip. They're off. We're following them throughout their lives. And so interesting things are happening that are getting picked up on camera. And as we'll see kind of going through, there's also lots of stuff because there was so much going on that doesn't get shown on camera that leaves it interesting for the lost footage or even just on the cutting room floor that I wish Bravo would let us see. It's like hint, hint, Bravo. Give us a season one through three New York City housewife kind of left on the cutting room floor behind the scenes. I'd love to see it. But anyway, we're with Luann. She's at the Angaro event. They show Lindsay Lohan and her mom at the event There's as they're kind of doing the initial cuts of the party. And I remembering at the time wondering why they were there. Why is Lindsay Lohan there? Why is her mom there? And why are they featuring them very briefly, but still featuring them as in clips of, of the show? But looking back, it all makes sense because during this time, Lindsay Lohan, there was that whole drama with Ungaro and then the the designer or the head creative director, whatever they call him, not wanting Lindsay Lohan to be involved. And then they fired her and brought Lindsay Lohan on and it was a disaster. And so there's that whole thing going on during this time that was 2009-ish. And so because of that, that's why Lindsay Lohan A is at the party and B they make it a point to show that she's there. So it all makes sense now. But I remember watching it going, who the hell cares that Lindsay Lohan is there? So we then cut to seeing Jill and Luann. They're talking. 
And Luann brings up, did you see Lindsay Lohan's mom? And Jill in her classic, I know everybody mode says, I did. In fact, I know Dina really well because she used to date a friend of mine. And Luann does mention, you know, it it never shocks her how much <laughs> that Jill does know everybody, which it's kind of true. Jill does know everybody. And in Luann's confessional, she explains that she wears a lot of Angaro and they asked her to host the fashion night out party. And for those of you that might not remember, Fashion Night Out was a creation of the infamous Anna Wintour, you know, the editor-in-chief of Vogue magazine, Devil Wears Prada, that Anna Wintour. And it went on from 2009 to 2013. So this was early on. And it occurs the first night of New York City Fashion Week. And there were, I mean, it was crazy in the beginning. There were about 800 parties that happened at all of the fashion stores and fashion houses in New York City. And things were known to kind of get crazy because it was so busy. All of the fashion houses and stores were passing out champagne. Uh, Some were getting busted for underage drinking. There were lines that were backing up in front of other stores and restaurants were getting upset. I think even a couple of cars got vandalized towards the end of it. So it ended up getting phased out. But this is, you know, 2009, 2010. So this is peak fashion night out. And you can tell by the crowd at the event as they're kind of flashing around and showing scenes of the Ungaro event, it is freaking packed. Even when Lindsay Lohan and her mom, you you can tell they're trying to like move through this mob of a crowd to, to get out of there. So it's a, it's a good showing, and there's a lot of people on hand, including Alex and Simon, who we see them arrive. And Alex looks great. She looks very pretty. And she explains that they hadn't seen Jill and Luann since the whole Labor Day weekend fiasco when she didn't end up going to their little impromptu party that was going up against Ramona's party. And so she wasn't sure how they were going to react to her. And Alex and Simon show up with Alex's gay friend, Eric, who is dressed like an absolute idiot. He's got like a woman's blouse on, a corset, like a masquerade mask, but not on. It's like kind of up like a headband, maybe. He looks like a freaking idiot. And of course, Jill then takes her anger out towards Alex on him. Alex and Simon introduce Jill to him and she looks at him and she's like, well, what's going on there? And she starts laughing. It's like, what the fuck are you wearing? I mean, right to his face. It's a really bitchy Jill moment. And we really do start to see the nasty side of Jill come out. This whole season, it really, it comes out in full force. But this is one of those moments where, you know, I agree with her. The guy looks like a fucking idiot and he is weird. But there is no need to say that to his face and kind of laugh in his face. And in Jill's confessional, she takes it even a step further and says, you know, they arrived with this freaky guy and he scared the freaking crap out of me. And I think that's a bit much. He didn't scare the crap out of me. I mean, he's kind of like a feminine gay dude who looks like an idiot, but I don't think it was like scary, right? And Jill goes on to say, you know, I've been around gays, but this guy was like overly beyond. And it's just, she's just, she's being petty. She's being mean. And it's not the last we've seen of that side of Jill. So Alex continues talking to Jill and she says, you know, he's like my gay during the day. And I just thought it seemed kind of desperate of Alex, like a little gimmicky. 
And then Simon kind of comes out of nowhere and says, well, he's the day gay, but I'm the night guy. And he really emphasizes guy. And there's something about that moment that I love because he's aware for the last two seasons, he's gotten a lot of scrutiny and shit talking about him that he's gay and doesn't know it and all of that. And so I love that he's kind of calling it out and being a bit self-deprecating in that moment. And you know, I don't have a lot of nice things to say about Simon. So we'll we'll leave it there. There's one, one nice thing I'm saying about creepy creepy Simon. And then Kelly arrives and she kind of has her hands on Simon's shoulder and he says, is there a tiger on my shoulder? And they all kind of laugh and you can tell Jill and Luann don't know what they're talking about. So they explain that Francois, Alex and Simon's oldest son, has nicknamed Kelly Tiger, which made me think there's got to be footage of them with Kelly that we didn't get to see. Again, there's stuff that got put on the cutting room floor. There's scenes of them probably hanging out. I bet you Kelly went over to her to their house um, and was hanging out with their children and we didn't get to see it. But then Jill, she just continues on her bitch tour. And she says, oh, well, that's great. He calls you Tiger. But did he climb up your legs or something like that? And we cut to Jill's confessional, and she says she thought that that was the perfect opportunity to tell a crazy story that Luann shared about her when they got off the yacht that we see in episode one about Alex's kids climbing up a stranger's legs at the Hamptons. And so Jill and Luann continue to tell this story in such a bitchy way. You can tell they're embarrassing Alex in front of everybody. And Jill does this thing. She has this tone and this fake laugh that she does when she's trying to be rude, but then covering it up by acting like she thinks it's funny or a joke. And it's very obvious that she's just being bitchy. And then she looks at Alex and says, you should have a chapter in your parenting book on what to do when your kids climb up people's legs. And then it immediately cuts to Alex's confessional where she says, well, I do have a chapter in my book called Don't Listen to the Well-Meaning Morons. Boom. It's one of Alex's best. And I I wish she would have said it to Jill's face. I'm sure she, she she's just sitting there like, wide-eyed and shocked that they're being so rude to her. I don't think she could have even come up with something to a retort to say back to Jill because she's just like, I cannot believe these bitches are doing this to me. Because Jill is not only insulting her kids, but she's being patronizing about her book and just really overall being a bitch. But it's like, now you've insulted my family. You've insulted my book and my business. Like, what's left? It's it's really fucking outrageous. It's, it's not a good look. It's very cringeworthy. You can tell Jill is... It's almost like she thinks she's being Bethany, but there's something about Bethany. It's just, it's different. Jill, it just comes off of a fucking rude bitch. And then Jill switches topics because, of course, she really just wants to gossip. That's all she wants. And she looks at Alex and she says, well, tell me what happened at Ramona's house during Labor Day, because that's all I really want to know. Which it's like, you just insulted this woman, you just beat her down, and now you're going to try to use her for information. It's, it's so fucking bitchy. It's like mean girl shit. But as much as I can't stand Jill in this scene, I couldn't help but think for a moment, Jesus, she makes good TV, right? It's like, she is not only being totally rude and petty, but no one has to ask her to bring up these topics and talk about them on camera, especially because she wants to talk about them. She is a fucking gossip. And so as much as I disliked her and just thought, oh, she's being a horrible person, she does make for great TV. So as she's starting to pry Alex for information about Labor Day, drinks show up, their drinks arrive, and they all take a sip and they're commenting on how strong they are. And Alex is like, 
good lord, these are really freaking strong. And Jill says, good, well, have another shot so then you can give me even more information. And I just thought it shows her petty little hand that she's playing. She doesn't care about Alex. She doesn't care about talking to her. She just cares about extracting information about Alex that perhaps she can use against Bethany, against Ramona, or just know the gossip. And so Alex explains, you know, not much happened. It's just Ramona really wanted her to stay at the Labor Day party. And so she did. And then Luann says the thing that shows her and Jill's true hand. And she says, listen, you know what? Are you on our team or what? And then she looks at Jill in a total tell that she and Jill and really Jill is orchestrating the whole teams, Team Jill. I mean, remember season one reunion, she shows up in a shirt that says Team Jill. You can just tell that's really what they've been up to. And it's not a good look. And Alex being sweet that she is says, you know, at the moment, she's really just the person who's friends with everyone. And they kind of like, oh, yeah, good for you. So then they tell Alex, oh, we've got something, you know, Kelly's got something to share. And of course, Kelly's like, no, you say it. It's so stupid. It's like, Kelly, stop. Stop playing the like pretend coy shy, like you're posing for Playboy. Don't act like you're shy. And so Jill's like, I'll tell her. And so they explain to her that she's posing in Playboy. Jill says out loud right there, oh, yeah, I think it's great, which is a total lie, because not only did she say in the last episode that she wasn't so sure about, you know, her doing this and, you know, she has children and all of that. But then the producers cut to Jill's confessional where she says she's got mixed feelings about it. She's got two kids who are going to be horrified. But meanwhile, in, in present time, Jill's going, oh, yeah, I think it's great. And then Luann does the thing that I just mentioned that I can't fucking stand that they all do. She says, oh, well, all the biggest stars have done it to me, blah, blah, blah. So there's nothing wrong with it. And it's like, ugh. Just because a a famous star, which who the hell cares about them anyway, did it means there's nothing wrong with it. Like with what's going on right now in the news, let's not even go there. It's I'm not looking to model my life after Hollywood. And then we cut to Alex's confessional where she says, you know, remember, I was judged pretty freaking harshly for nude photos. And they cut to season one and scenes of the reunion when Ramona walks off. Jill and Luann are disgusted because she had posed for her husband topless photos that got leaked, which was, of course, again, the first walk off in Housewives history at the reunion. And she calls out Jill and Luann's hypocrisy for supporting Kelly because they sure as hell didn't support her then. And I love that she is because it's What's even weirder about it is they're supporting Kelly, but only to her face because their confessionals belie that fact. And then Luann even says in her confessional that she's sure Alex was surprised at their support of Kelly and her posing nude. But then she says, well, Playboy is so much better than nude photos. Like, it's so much different. And again, no, it's not. Nude photos are nude photos. Stop trying to make it like somehow they're dignified because they're going in Playboy as opposed to, you know, your home photo album. It's like, get over yourselves. Well, then we cut back to Jill's condo. She's having Luann over because she's invited a psychic to come over and do a reading. So they get a psychic reading and clearly the whole scene just seems so fucking set up. The gal who they have over, clearly Jill has talked to her about Bethany and the situation, the fight, because everything this lady says seems to just really be something that would come right out of Jill's mouth. It's not it's not even psychic. It's like just totally judgmental about someone you don't know. It's such nonsense. So we see a little bit of the reading that she gives to Luann and says that she sees a man coming into her life who is a banker, a seller, and she's coming in with a J name. 
And Luann says she does have a guy who's kind of new in her life that has a J name. And that I thought it was interesting. She says that she was suspicious of the fact that the lady said this. And then that's all we get. So I wonder if there was more of Luann that got put on the cutting room floor where the things that she was saying about Bethany and Jill, she felt like Jill had talked to her ahead of time. But we don't get that piece. But as you know, the J is a reference to Jacques, who we're going to see in upcoming seasons, uh, Luann's long-term boyfriend, but that's the first Jacques reference we get. And then Jill, it's her turn, and of course, she wants to talk about Bethany. Again, it seems like a total setup and that Jill has already talked to this so-called psychic about Bethany and the situation. And the psychic says that Bethany is talking to anyone who will listen about this. And it's like, no, that's actually what Jill was doing. And then the psychic says that Bethany's going through a great time in her life and she's feeling guilty because she's damaged relationships with those who have helped her get to where she is at. And again, this is like right out of Jill's mouth. There's nothing psychic about saying Bethany's going through a great time in her life and now she's feeling guilty about damaging relationships. That's the narrative that Jill is wanting to set on the show. And nice try, Jill, but we can see right through it. And then Jill takes this opportunity to bring up the message, you know, the you need to get a hobby message, the thing that Jill continually talks about. She can't stop talking about it. And I really think it's because it's the only thing that she has on Bethany that was slightly mean that Bethany did. But it's really not even that big of a deal. And it just seems so desperate of Jill that not only she um, would continue to bring this up, but that she would keep the message. It's like three months old at this point. I really do think because it's one of the only things she has that she can say Bethany said that was mean to her, she grips it so tightly and brings it up over and over to try to prove her point. And then she even says, it's so painful for me that I play it when I'm feeling weak, like I want to be her friend again. I don't believe that for one fucking second. All she has done towards Bethany is gun for her, come after her, try to cut her out, try to bash her down. I don't believe for one second she has weak moments where she wants to be Bethany's friend again. So then, of course, Jill can't help herself, and she puts it on speakerphone and plays the message for him, which is so petty. But I do notice that Jill doesn't play the whole message. Right after Bethany says, you know, Jill, you really need to stop picking fights with people. You, you need to get a hobby. Picking fights with people is not a hobby. And she starts to say, I have thanked you and Bobby. I thanked you in my book. Boom. Jill goes, she stops it. She goes, I, I think you get the, they get the idea. And I do feel like Bethany started to lay down some facts there that Jill did not want out on camera or to Luann and the psychic. And that's why she stopped it. But the scene ends with, oh, woe is me, Jill, saying that she made a deposit in that friendship bank and she feels like Bethany cleaned it out. She took the money and ran. So next we see Bethany and Jason. They are at Tenjun. It's a nightclub in the Meatpacking District. It is Jason's birthday. And Tenjun is no longer open, but it did get some publicity due to its celebrity clientele around this time. But it also had some bad press as well. And so now it's permanently closed. But it's Jason's birthday. Bethany looks great. She's in like a navy and white, I think it's a Hervé Legere dress, those kind of real tight bandage dresses that were very popular at this time. And they they walk in and they're talking about how they met. It was the first time they met. And they go over their first meeting and it's really cute. Jason explains that the cameras were taking pictures of Bethany and the second the cameras stopped, she was smiling and then she kind of had a bad look on her face. 
So he goes on to say, then we bumped into each other. And Bethany's like, no, we, you didn't bump into me. Don't front. You came over and said, when are you going to take the stick out of your ass? And I do love that. I think that's what Bethany was attracted to because she's a strong personality and she needed someone to put her in her place at times. And we see in her confessional, she says they're kind of that couple that you love to hate because they're always talking about that night and telling the story. And what did you say? And what did I say? And it's kind of gag worthy, but it's, it's adorable as well. And so when they get there, nobody's there. And then we start to see the guests arrive. Julie's one of the first to arrive, Bethany's assistant, who we later on see in Bethany getting married and Bethany ever after, who just seems so sweet. And I think it's funny because Bethany says to her that this dress is like sausage casing, which it is, but I will say she has the body for it. She looks absolutely fantastic in this dress. And Bethany says in her her confessional that she was a bit, bit nervous. Everything is usually always about her stuff and going to her events. And she wanted Jason to have a good night and feel like this was about him and his friends. And so then we do see his friends start arriving and she says Jason has a cheesy streak and she likes it. And I love this line. It's Bethany, if nothing else, is really good at one-liners. She says, I have a lot of roller rink in me, which is why she likes Jason's cheesiness. And I I thought that was a pretty clever line. So we see the party unfold. They're having a good time. And then I do have to say there's an interesting scene because Bethany is ripping on one of Jason's friends who has a very thick, gravelly voice that has a very thick, like, New York, New Jersey accent. And she kind of goes, wah, wah, wah. And she's, like, making fun of the guy. And Jason looks at her. He's like, I can't believe he's still talking to you. Like, you just ripped him a new one and now he's talking to you. And Bethany is usually funny, but I do think sometimes she's so desperate and maybe even on camera to seem funny that sometimes she does take it too far. And I don't think that she would treat her own friend or if Jason was treating a friend that that he barely knew that was one of her friends. I think if he was treating one of her friends like that, she would have had a fit. But yet somehow because she tries to pass it off like she's funny gal, that it was okay because it is it, it was a little rude. Like she kind of took it a little too far. Maybe one comment would have been funny, but I found it rude too. And then we see in Bethany's confessional, she says that, you know, there is a void in events like this where Jill is not there and she misses Jill. And I think, again, great juxtaposition that they do because here you have the scene before where Jill is just ripping Bethany, selling, throwing her under the bus, playing messages that are private between the two of them. And then you've got Bethany saying, you know, I do miss Jill. There's a void when she's not there. And so the scene ends with Bethany saying, this is the first of many birthdays with she and Jason. She says, I'm not going to screw this one up. And I'm going to say an unpopular opinion here because, as I said, I was a Bethany fan. I stan Bethany. I bought all of her Skinny Girl products. I bought her Skinny Girl, you know, body scrubs and the Skinny Girl lip this and that. I did it all. I supported her. I tweeted stuff out for her, which means I also watched Bethany Ever After and um, Bethany Getting Married. And I have to say, I do think that Bethany treated Jason like shit. I don't really know what happened. I know there's like stalking charges on him afterwards and all of this. So I'm not going to defend Jason because I don't know what went on there. But I do know what happened on camera during those shows. And Bethany was an asshole to him because remember, Bethany calls herself a lone wolf. She doesn't have any family. She likes being alone. She doesn't like people being in her house. 
Well, Jason really is the opposite. He comes from a very close family. He's close with his parents. He has a lot of close buddies. He likes having his friends over. He's originally, I think, from Philadelphia, or his parents live there in in Pennsylvania somewhere. And I specifically remember in those shows, all of a sudden, they they have their baby, they're they're filming, and she starts talking about when his friends come into town, like, they're not going to stay at our apartment. I'm not having them stay here. That's not how that's going to go. They can get a hotel. And I just remember that rubbing me so wrong and thinking if that was my spouse telling me that my very good friends, I mean, I've had friends for 35 plus years. We've been friends forever. And if my spouse started telling me that when my friends come into town, especially in New York City, where it's very expensive to come and visit, that my friends could not stay in our extra bedroom in our home. Think about it. If a man was doing that to a woman, that would not be okay. And I just remember thinking, Bethany's being a fucking bitch to him. And she did not treat, she likes to play the victim now that she was awesome and Jason is horrible. But I'm just going to go on the record to say she says she wasn't going to screw that one up. I think she had a part to play in screwing that one up. But I digress. So next we cut to the Legends Ball at Cipriani's and the Legends Ball supports the Tennis Hall of Fame. There's tennis stars and society people who come and donate money. The tickets are pretty expensive to to go have the dinner there. And like I said, it supports the Tennis Hall of Fame. So of course, Ramona and Mario are there. Remember, Mario's got a tennis background. He was a nationally ranked um, tennis player in his age group. And he's explaining to Ramona all of the tennis stars who are going to be there. Chrissy Everett, John McEnroe. He says Justin Gimmelstop, who, if you remember, was the pro that Jill was inviting to have last season play against Ramona and Mario. And she wouldn't say who it was. And then it ended up having to be Simon because Justin got hurt. She also wanted to set him up with Bethany, if you remember. And of course, Ramona, her eyes kind of perk. She's like, oh, I want to meet him. And then we see that Jill arrives because she's also a tennis player, right? She likes to play tennis. And I think she just likes to be seen out in society, too. And so we see Jill. She's in the foyer kind of walking in. And then they cut to Ramona, who's standing with Mario and some friends. And some girl shows up that she's really excited to see. And she screeches. And you can hear it all the way in the foyer where Jill is. And Jill says, oh, that screech, that has to be Ramona. And I think it's kind of funny because she's 100% right. And so then we hear Ramona explain that this is the first time she is seeing Jill since that whole Labor Day fiasco. And she was a bit apprehensive. She wasn't sure how Jill was going to approach her. And so Jill comes up. They're both very cordial with each other. Jill asks how the Labor Day barbecue was at Ramona's house. And then Jill, it's just, ah, she covers for herself. It's so disingenuous. She says, you know, Ramona, I was in a really uncomfortable situation and I felt really bad. And you know, I felt bad. And I just felt like that's what narcissists and manipulative people do when they're trying to get you to just kind of be a sheep and go along is to not only say the thing, but then to say, and you know it. Because Ramona doesn't know that she felt bad. And let's be real, we watched, they haven't seen the the clips at this point, the footage is out there. But we watched episode one and two. We watched Jill and Luann sitting there talking shit about Ramona and they're not going to this party. Jill didn't feel bad one bit, but get her in front of Ramona and now she's trying to play the victim and act like she was nicey-nicey. 
So then she turns her gaze onto Mario and says, you know what? She has the big butt. Mario, why couldn't you just say I'm sorry to Luann and get it over with? And Mario, you know, to kind of call him out too, he continues with that line of, I didn't say it to I didn't say it to her. I didn't say anything to her. And it's like we all know at this point, Mario, that you didn't say anything to her, right? She overheard you saying it. And Jill says as much. You know, she says, Yes, of course you didn't, but you did say something that she overheard. And can't you just admit that it wasn't nice? And Mario kind of says, you know, yeah, it wasn't nice. But he calls Jill out and says, but don't sit here and try to take the high road with me and act like I need to talk to you about this because you said a ton of stuff that wasn't very nice about really a lot of us here. And so then Jill deflects and is like, let's only focus on this one thing, which again, I also think is lame because the universe of things and events and actions don't happen in a vacuum where it's only that one thing. You know, if you're trying to call somebody out for doing something and something that you do, it's fair game for them to call you a hypocrite, which is basically what Mario was doing. Jill tries to kind of play the victim card with Luann. You know, she's she's alone. And when you said countless, because she's married. And I think she's covering up again for Luann, because we all know what Mario meant with the countless. He means there were a lot of men coming and going, and he didn't mean that she's less the count. But I think Jill keeps bringing this up to try to cover for Luann again, because she just wants her team to look good, not because she likes Luann. And Mario and Ramona are like, give me a break. She's not alone. And as Mario says, she was never alone, right? He said she has lots of friends, especially male friends, he says. And he goes, and you know that too. She wasn't alone. I'm not feeling bad for her like she was a victim. And then in Jill's confessional, we end the scene with her saying, you know, Mario, he's such an asshole. He couldn't just apologize it and let it go- let it be over. He's such a baby. Well, then next we get what I call the quick scenes. You'll hear me talk about them throughout the the episodes. They're kind of those like two two minute little clips that would come up in between uh, commercial breaks that they used to do on Housewives. So we get a quick scene with Kelly and she is so clearly trying to dig at Bethany. This is a really pathetic scene if you asked me. She's in a store trying on fur and clearly going, should I wear the fur? I love the fur because Bethany, remember, just did the PETA anti-fur, I'd rather go naked campaign. So then we get an on-the-spot confessional with Kelly standing outside of the, the store, and we get one of her most illogical, ridiculous comments that she says. And she says, you know, PETA isn't saying don't wear fur, which is exactly what the campaign is about. They are saying, don't abuse animals. She's just so brain dead. She says, I'm not abusing animals. I'm just wearing fur. And it's like, oh, good God. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. She's totally brain dead. She doesn't get it. It's hilarious and sad all at the same time. And then she also says, no, you know, me, me doing this, it's not anti-Bethany, which is exactly what it is. She says, you know, maybe in five years I won't want to wear fur and I'll be a vegetarian. But for now, I eat meat and wear, wear fur. And I'm a cold-blooded person. So if I want to wear fur, more power to me, which I just thought was really fantastic that she said that because she is a cold-blooded person in the way that we mean it figuratively. I think she was trying to say literally like she gets cold a lot, which is why she likes to wear fur. But she ends up saying, I'm a cold-blooded person. And I just, oh, it's gold. So next we cut to Kelly's apartment. Jill is coming over. And when she arrives... We get Kelly's confessional saying that she and Jill are becoming very close friends and she wanted to have Jill over to her house so she could see her in her own environment. 
which I thought was ridiculous as well. It's like, who needs to be in your own home to act normal? Okay. So she gives Jill the tour. Jill's clearly impressed. She's like, this apartment is huge. She's like, "Uh, can we talk about the 10,000 pound horse in the room? Because if you remember, Kelly has that gigantic horse in the middle of her apartment. Jill's like, where did you get this horse? And we hear a kind of throwaway comment where Kelly says it's from the Met. So of course, I'm sure Jill at that point, she was making fun of it, but now she's impressed because it's from the Met. She makes Jill get on the horse, which is also hilarious. And the apartment is huge. Uh, they go up and see Kelly's room where she's got all of her bags on display in, in like a closet type thing in the room. And I will give her this. I do think that is before anyone else was doing the whole displaying your bags in a closet shelving thing. It was kind of one of the first ways that we see that done. So as I said, Real Housewives of New York City seasons one through three is groundbreaking in many ways. I think this kind of opened up that type of high class, high end closet design to the regular world. And so Jill is looking at the bags. And I think it's an Hermes bag that she passes and she looks at it. She's like, who's Murado? And Kelly's like, oh, that's my horse. And Jill's like, you have an expensive bag with your horse's name engraved on it. And I can tell Jill's like, holy shit, Kelly is freaking wealthy. So then we see Jill and Kelly. They're sitting on the counter in Kelly's kitchen. And Jill calls out Kelly for the comment that she made, saying that she was being asked to be on the 40th anniversary cover for Playboy. And as I mentioned when this was said an episode or two ago, Jill says the dates don't add up because Marilyn Monroe was on the first cover and that was like in the 50s, right? So clearly in 2009, 2010, you're not doing the 40th anniversary cover. And so you see Jill, she starts doing the thing that she does for all of her friends, not because she likes Kelly, but because she's trying to make that play against Bethany and she wants Team Jill to look good. She doesn't want Team Jill to be filled with Luann, who's an adulteress, a bad mother, sleeps around, and then Kelly, who's a freaking lunatic asshole socialite who has no idea what she's talking about and just talks out of her ass, right? So she starts covering for Kelly, and you don't know that's what she's doing until you catch on, but you hear Jill talking about, well, you know, they can do an anniversary for everything. They love anniversaries. They can do anniversary of the mansion, the anniversary of half wearing the robe, the anniversary of this, the anniversary of that. And so... Kelly says, yes, it's the anniversary of the bunny costume. That's what it was. And Jill's like, well, you know, you got to be clear about that. And Jill, again, I think in a desperate attempt to cover for Kelly, she speaks without thinking because she goes, well, your agent's an idiot. And she, you know, they should have told you about that. So you're not walking around saying those things. And you can immediately see Kelly's like, well, I don't think they knew. And she's like, well, they should have known they're your agent. That's their job. And I do think Jill, in her desperation to cover up, is now also throwing Kelly's agent under the bus, who's probably a big named agent, right? Kelly's a model. Jill Ben Simone is her ex-husband. Like, she's in that world. And I'm sure she was like, oh, shut up. Stop talking shit about my agent because I'm out there saying stupid stuff. Like, we all know if Kelly's saying stupid stuff, it's most likely because it's Kelly. And so we end the scene with Kelly's confessional. She's kind of a voiceover as she's talking when we're seeing Jill going to the door and leaving. And she's like, oh, my God, Jill just won't stop talking about it. It's like, okay, it's done. Like, let it go. And if she knows anything about Jill, which I don't think she knows too much, Jill doesn't let it go. She doesn't let anything go. So next we cut to Alex's townhouse in Brooklyn. She's making pizza. She's got her youngest son, Johan, who is adorable at this point, uh, on the counter with her. And I do think it's interesting because clearly Simon probably just got home from work because she said, let's make daddy a drink while he's changing. And I just, again, it's like, 
who it's funny when he walks in, he just takes the drink like it's a very normal thing. And it's a cocktail. It's like if you have a cocktail or two every night when you come home from work, it's like one thing, a beer or two. But I just feel like I'd be very hyper aware of the fact that Jill has called me an alcoholic. It's been called out that I was like falling down drunk at a party. I wouldn't be having my wife make me who is working on top of that, by the way, making me a drink the second I come in and start changing from work. It's just... I'd be a little more self-aware of that issue, but that's just me. And so Simon comes in, he's in his regular clothes, he's clearly changed from work, and they start talking about Jill's comment with the kids crawling up a stranger's leg after the yacht ride in the Hamptons. And here we get a new confessional look from Alex. She's in this purple top. She looks absolutely fantastic. This is one of her best. And you can tell that she's pretty upset and they start talking about it. And I think because they're hyper aware of the fact that they're putting out a parenting book, now Jill's gunning for them on the parenting stuff. They do the, oh, let's take Johan out um, of the room. And maybe even because the, the thing they were talking about was Francois, I think. But again, he's like one and a half, two. I don't think he would have known what they were talking about, but whatever. They take him out of the room, make him go sit on the couch and watch um, TV with his brother. And then they really get into it because Alex is upset. She could tell Jill was doing the whole bit, telling the story just to be a bitch. And she says, and then Luann piled on in typical Luann fashion. And I will say Simon calls it out and he says, you know, Jill has to be the mother hen. She has to be the center of attention. She has to be the know-it-all. And if she's not all of those things, she gets pissed. I think he says she gets her nose in a wrinkle or something like that. Very Australian. But basically, she gets pissed. And Simon is right there. That's exactly what's going on. And Alex says she turns from benevolent benevolent mother hen to mommy dearest mother hen. It's like, yep, exactly. She hits the nail on the head. And Simon looks at her and says, well, you know what? Why don't you say that to her face? Which I like. And like I said, I I think there's a lot of things that Alex could have said to Jill's face. But she was shocked in that moment of how rude they were being to her. It was very high school mean girls. I think she was shocked more than anything. And Alex calls it out that Jill likes Luann because she can control Luann and Luann will be a sheep and just follow her around and do whatever she wants. And again, spot freaking on. And then she calls out, you know what? Remember that whole Jill likes the underdog thing? Luann just got divorced. She's the underdog. And it's like ding, ding, ding. And so we end with Alex's confessional where she says, you know, you can only hold on to this stuff for so long before you're going to eventually just explode. And so she says it's going to be interesting to see what happens the next time they're all together and foreshadowing because she is about to blow. So now we arrive at the Jill Stewart fashion show. This is going to be the first time that Jill and Bethany are in the same room and on camera since the start of the season. Luann and Jill arrive. Jill is clearly stressing because Bethany is going to be there. And I think the amount of stress that Jill is showing, there's just guilt wrapped up in it. I think a lot of it is because she knows she's talked a lot of shit about Bethany. She's made a mountain out of a molehill, to use a rony phrase. And I think she said a lot of untruths. She's made herself a victim where she's not. And she's talked so much shit that going up against Bethany and seeing her face to face is making her nervous. So Bethany finally arrives. She says that she was a little apprehensive as well because she hasn't seen Jill and she has no idea what's going on. 
So she goes over, she says hello to Jill and Luann. They're clearly kind of backstage, maybe it looks like, or maybe at the there's just tables around. They're not in the show. And it's it's a little bit uncomfortable. You can tell Lu, uh, Bethany's kind of being quick and just like, oh, hey, how you guys doing? Like, why are we here? Let's go upstairs. Why are we sitting here? And Jill says, oh, we're, we're waiting for Kelly. Or maybe Luann says it. They're waiting for Kelly. And so Bethany at that point says, okay, well, we're going to go up and sit. Her and her friend leave. They're going to go sit at the fashion show. And Jill looks at Luann and says, did an alien just arrive? I mean, that was weird. And you can see Luann. She's kind of like, well, it was it was fine. And Jill's like, no, it was weird. Again, just demanding that that's how it's going to be perceived. And she says it was too nice. And I really think after everything that's been going on, you should be grateful that she was too nice. But of course, now it's a bad thing. She convinces Luann that it's weird. And you see Luann trying to manage Jill, which you do see a lot of this throughout the season. She says, well, you know what? You did good. Everyone was superficially nice. You did a great job. You handled it well, right? Just kind of playing to Jill's ego. So next we see them all. They're sitting at the fashion show. They're all sitting side by side, although it goes Jill, Luann, Bethany, Kelly. So Jill and Bethany aren't sitting directly next to each other, but they're all boom, boom, boom right there. As I mentioned, Kelly then arrives. We see the fashion show take place. And Bethany's confessional, she says even though Luann was sitting between she and Jill, she could feel Jill's tension and it was just uncomfortable. So then the show is over and Bethany goes to talk to Jill and says, look, you know, what is going on? Everyone but you keeps telling me that you're upset with me. And Jill just, you know, doesn't want to talk there. And she kind of starts to engage and says, look, the last time I heard from you, you said to get a hobby. So I got another hobby. And Bethany says, yeah, because picking fights with people should not be a hobby, Jill. And she says, you want me to give you and Bobby credit for everything I've done. And it's just simply not fair. And then, of course, Kelly interjects, you guys, we're at a fashion show. Like, I'm so embarrassed, please. And it's like, at this point, the fashion show is over. You can tell it's very loud in the auditorium. It's like, stop it, Kelly. Like, you're not in church. Like, it's not that big of a deal. But of course, she makes it a big deal. And then Jill, at that point, I think she knows she can't go toe-to-toe with Bethany. And I don't think she wants Bethany to say some of the things that Jill actually did on camera. And so Jill just, you know, I'm not going to talk about it here and walks away. And so Bethany's left standing there with Luann. And she says to Luann, you said she wanted to talk to me. And Luann's like, well, she did, but I, I don't think she's ready. She starts covering for Jill. And then we see Bethany explain, this is more down and dirty than she thought. And she says to Luann, Jill just won't let me be happy. She simply won't. And Luann continues to try to cover for Jill. She's explaining that Jill's upset and this and that. And in Bethany's confessional, she says she sees what this is now and that she just had no idea Luann was representing Jill in the case of Zarin v. Frankel. <laughs> so funny. And then Luann brings up the message again. And Bethany points out the fact that Jill probably didn't show her the rude email that she sent her, did she? It's all been one-sided. And in Bethany's confessional, she says exactly what we're all thinking. You know, it's like, what is Jill doing playing a private message three months later? Like, it's just, please. And Bethany says, short of saying I wanted to murder her and then playing it for the police, like, I just don't see that you play messages for others like this. It's incredibly rude. So at that point, Bethany really doesn't know what to do. She goes over, she says goodbye to Luann and Kelly and Jill. And there's an on-the-spot confessional, my favorite, with Bethany, where she says, you know what, Jill's going to need to work this out with me now. I've tried. And her behavior shows that she probably should get a hobby. And the last we see of it, the episode closes with Bethany saying goodbye to Jill. And they kind of give each other the fake kiss, say goodbye. And Bethany looks at her and says, what are you doing? And Jill walks away going, nothing. I'm not doing anything. And the episode ends. 
So like I said, there is so much packed into this episode. I I really can't believe how many scenes and how many topics are in just episode three. It's so good. And they really set up so well all of the pieces of, of how this is all going to unfold in the season. Oh, I just, it's lovely. So make sure to join us next week when we break down Roni's season three, episode four, Fashion and Fighting. And as always, please download our podcast on Apple, Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify, and most other places that you get your podcasts. And follow and like us on Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram at Deep Fix Podcast. Until next time, see y'all then.